0: You know, I should have known God had a plan and a purpose for our time this morning. Yet, I am still so often surprised by these little things that he does. And um, I'm not sure whether he just is shaking his head at me or if, (laughs) if he's just enjoying the fact that I get these little serendipitous moments. But as I was saving this lesson to my computer... I noticed that the first one that we did this year in January was called The Anatomy of the Sin Nature. And today we are dealing with the divine nature. So we have moved from the sin nature to the divine nature <laughs> in the last few months. Not that there was a progression of it, but that's what I found in my computer, was that all of a sudden I was going from the sin nature to the divine nature. And... Um, I can't be more excited with that transition, let me tell you. It's a transition that happens to everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Well, let me open with prayer as we get started. And if there is something that is distracting you this morning, if there is perhaps unconfessed sin in your life, um, it happens on the way to church quite often, that maybe we need to take care of. So do that in the quietness of your own heart as we prepare to look at God's holy word this morning, and I will do the same, and then I will open us in a word of prayer. Just take a minute there. Father God, your word is holy and a lamp unto our feet. Help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see this morning as you teach us through your word and your spirit. Pray that you would be with those who are still on their way, give them safety, and thank you for each one that is here. Father, it's amazing to me that you can take someone with a sinful nature and create in us a divine nature. What a blessing, Lord. And I just thank you so much for that. I pray that your spirit would lead us and teach us as we come to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. And we just thank you for all you're going to do this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So open with me, if you will, to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and I'm again reading from the New American Standard, but you can follow along in your Bibles as I read. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that by them you may become partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. The very first sentence, if you haven't got a um, listener guide or a lesson guide, you'll need uh, both of these pages, and they're on this table over here. Um, So you'll need both of those today. One is just simply a diagram to help you understand the concept that we'll be looking at. But the very first sentence of this letter tells us who the author is. We see it it was written by Simon Peter, and this is the same Simon Peter who denied knowing Jesus, not just once, but three times in one night. He is also the same Simon Peter that was restored to a relationship with Jesus along the shores um, that he was so familiar with. And he was not just restored as a follower, but as it states here, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's writing to those, as we also see in verse 1, that had received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. His letter was written to those believers who had put their faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And there were plenty then, as there is now, who put their faith in a multitude of things. They uh, might put their faith in God, but they don't recognize the deity of Jesus. Or they might put their faith in their works to be good enough to get them into heaven um, you know, I've heard it, many people talk joke about, well, I'm going to try and do my best, and maybe I'll just be able to slide in the door when Peter's not looking. Well, that's not the way it works, and we know that. There were those who, yes, had faith in God, but they also believed in many other gods. And Peter is writing to those who have accepted the same kind of faith that he had That faith, that was a salvation that came by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ because he is the only one and true way. In verse two, Peter says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And it's in the knowing ladies that that deep unshakable knowledge of who our God is, who Jesus is, what the Holy Spirit's work is, that his grace and his peace that surpasses all comprehension is able to be multiplied within us. Verse 3 tells us that it is God's divine power. That's a power that is uniquely God's. It's divine. It's uniquely God's, and it proceeds from him. And that power stands in opposition to weakness. So when we are weak, he makes us strong. He gives us this divine power, making us able to accomplish what he has called us to do. And it's that power that is granted to us, that divine power that granted to us all of those precious and magnificent promises that we find in his word. Then the godliness spoken of here is devotion to God. Even that comes from the source of God's power. And as we participate with him, we are looking at God from a God-first perspective. So whatever is going on in our life, our automatic response is, what would God want for us in this situation? It's a God-first, a God-last, and a God-everything-in-between perspective. It's a Godward attitude, and that's where our devotion comes in because we must be holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, H-O-L-Y, gods. It's as we devote ourselves to knowing him that his grace, as we learn more of it, allows us to know him and his word more. And the word here for knowledge in verse 3 is epinosis and it's different than gnosis which we're going to get to later this word is a more thorough applicational type of knowledge so we not only know god and are able to know him but because of his divine power and those precious and magnificent promises we are to be we are able to apply those things to our life we are able to then uh, except the joys that come from applying those things in our life it's a first hand knowledge and it shows a relationship between us and the object of our knowledge, knowledge it requires personal effort and involvement on our part and it's a clear and exact application of truth as opposed to gnosis which we'll get to later so that is the applicational knowledge of our God and Savior that his divine power has released to us. And the end of that verse 3, it says it is his own glory and excellence which has called to us. The gospel message is that he is perfect and we are not, <laughs> and we need a Savior, and he provided that. So it's his own glory and excellence which called to us. He alone could redeem us. He alone could restore us. He alone could save us. For there is no one other that is like our God. God entered into a contract with us. It's a legal terminology that is used in that, those words. When he called to us, it's a repetitive calling. He continuously calls to us, not just to save us, but to keep us within his will, to keep us under the control of the spirit. And so he has saved us and called us out of our sin nature into a divine nature. And it's a legal terminology there, entering us into a contract. He has bound himself to provide for us, for anyone who calls upon his name. We become his partner in this covenant. In Christ and he has given us his word on it and we all know his word is a whole lot better than ours <laughs> we're not quite as faithful as he is but it is his own glory by his character which we can trust in because it's perfection and his excellence which again we can trust because there is no other one with virtue like he like his that the text says he repeatedly calls out to us in our imperfection and lack of virtue to change us. For when we look at Jesus and we see God in all of his glory, don't we recognize how far we fall short of that? But we can indeed be changed as we place our faith in Christ because at that moment, he places a divine nature within us one that we didn't have before, but he births that spirit into us, giving us his divine power within us. And when we're looking at um, our position in Christ and our fellowship with the Holy Spirit as a follower of Christ, we then have to apply both of those in order to accomplish what we're going to be looking at today. He's done the work, but we have to choose to live it out. Some of us have been Christians a very long time, and we know that we have a long way to go before we look like Christ. But I think if all of us took a look back to see where we were at that moment of first confession of faith and where we are now, that we would see that there's been progress. Praise the Lord, there's been progress. He has been at work in us, and there is still progress moving forward. Even if it's three steps forward and two steps back, we're still getting one step up each time. So, He is good to be faithful to us in that way. And the more we know of God and His plan for us, the more that His Spirit within us is going to compel us to live out that divine nature that we have rather than the sin nature. It's by his character and virtue he has given to us his precious and magnificent promises. Because God's character is true, and it is faithful, and it is merciful, and it is full of grace, we can count on it. His virtue is unmatched. And when we rely on the promises that we find, when we fully depend on them, if we were just to latch onto a couple of them, how much would that change our life to be able to hold on to those during trials and tribulations? They are precious and magnificent, not only in quantity but in quality, and because by them we can become partakers of a divine nature. I've mentioned before that I'm I lean towards the ascetic, a do gooder. Um, I wasn't always that way. That's how I know there's been progress. <laughs> because I, I have a rebellious streak in me at, as well. But that's that sin nature, and I'm trying not to let that one rule over me too much. But um, I love lists to do's, and perhaps that's why I love this portion of Second Peter so much, is because we're about to look at a list of how... We can partake of that divine nature. How can we grow in our walk with God? We can only do that by His divine power working within us. And so look back at me uh, with me, if you will, to Second Peter chapter one. We're going to begin at verses five, and we're going to go through verse seven. Now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence. In your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in knowledge, self control. And in self control, perseverance. And in perseverance, godliness. And in godliness, brotherly kindness. And in brotherly kindness, love. Well, that's quite the list. And I want us to look at this list today because it is for our own good. And you might say, well, Tammy, how do you know it's for our own good? (laughs) Well, just look at verse (laughs) 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting to note that the word if there, where it says for if these qualities, the word if and the word qualities is not in the original text. So when you're looking in the Greek, at the Koine Greek, it reads this way, for these are yours and are increasing. Now why did Peter put it that way? Because God is expecting that living in the divine nature, we will be progressing. We will be useless, useful and fruitful rather than it, them being not doing anything. We, we will be expected to grow in our walk with God as we follow him and his word. And again, God's grace supplies everything we need for that. So, if you feel you're currently being very useless or unfruitful in your walk with God, perhaps this list today will help us to understand how we can change that or how God wants to change that. You might remember that God describes our relationship with Christ as our position being in Christ, we are the dot in the sphere. And that word sphere is always fun to say, but <laughs> sphere of Christ. And we get that from Titus 2.14, where it talks about us being a peculiar people in the King James, or a people of God's own possession in the original Greek. And when we looked at that word possession, we saw that it's a treasured possession. It's not just something to own and sit on a shelf. It's something that he is invested in and that he wants to work with. He wants to be with it. He wants to, you know, just change the whole thing, the whole structure of belonging. We belong to Christ. We are that dot in the sphere of Christ. And we saw that that word is periusion. And it is a picture that as believers at the moment of placing our faith in him, in the work that Jesus did for us, that we are placed into the sphere of Christ, sealed there by the Holy Spirit. And the way they diagrammed that was they drew a complete circle. There is no exit point. You are in Christ. You are saved. You are there, secure, by the Holy Spirit. Then we also saw that there was a second sphere. And that sphere is the sphere of our fellowship or the control of the Holy Spirit in our life. But this sphere that they describe has a line through it, what that? shows us is that we can be in fellowship or we can be out of fellowship. We can be in control of the Holy Spirit or we can be out of control of the Holy Spirit. And what takes us out of the control of the Holy Spirit? Our own sin. So sin takes us out. What, then what's going to get us back in? First John 1 John 1.9, we're going to confess our sin and we are going to get right with God. We're going to admit that, yes, what we did was sin before you, God. We're going to get back under the control of the Holy Spirit. We're going to submit ourselves once more to his leading in our life. So those two diagrams that we looked at a long time ago now, over a year ago, I hope that you remember those, um, describe our position or identity. At the moment we accept Christ, our identity changes. I'm no longer Tammy. I am Tammy that belongs to Christ. And my life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, right? We're going to get to that verse in a little bit because I'm blowing it. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, and I'm not even quoting it correctly. Because I didn't start it right. Um, so we're going to get there in a little bit. But um, when we are in those circles... Both of those have to be in place in order for us to fulfill these others. And did you know that each one of these characteristics that we just read in 5 and 7, each one of those is described as a sphere? This second outline that I've given you, it shows you a picture of that. Now, each of these are spheres. They're not just circles because they are full. And what we're going to do is we're going to see this morning that as our faith is developed and grows, it's because our moral excellence is growing and our knowledge is growing and our self-control is growing, and our perseverance is growing and our godliness is growing and our brotherly kindness is growing and our love is growing. All of those are expanding to make us spiritually mature followers of Christ. So we we know that we have to be saturated, as Ephesians 5.18 says, saturated to the point of control. You know, do not be drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. That word filled there is saturated to the point of control. So they don't want alcohol controlling us, but that picture of how alcohol saturates our, our body and takes control of our emotions and our and our body, same way with. The Holy Spirit, He is supposed to be in control of us. He is supposed to be. Uh, pardon me. I think I, I think my um, recording shut off. That's not a good thing. OK, there we go. Um, he is the one that is to be in control. So those have to be intact. We have to first belong to him in order to have a new divine nature. right? uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, he has made us a new creation. Then we have to be in fellowship with the Holy Spirit because he is the one that helps us to understand God's word. So if we're going to grow spiritually and develop spiritual maturity, then we have to have those two intact. Look back at chapter 1, verse 5 of 2 Peter. It says, Now for this very reason. The reason is that he listed that in verse 4, where he says that we have escaped the corruption that is in this world by lust, meaning the old sin nature no longer has authority over us. We have escaped that authority of the sin nature. We now have a divine nature that comes divinely powered by God himself that is within us. And so he has also called us by his glory and excellence, and we are no longer a slave to our sin nature. We have become partakers of the divine nature. So for those reasons, we are to apply all diligence. Now the word here for diligence is spoudé. And it means to repeatedly exhibit with all haste, zeal, urgency, eagerness, and effort, complete dedication. And it's a participle, which means it's a principle. That's all a participle in the Koine Greek means. It means it's a principle. A principle for us to live by. A principle to build our life from. And so we are to build our Life in such a manner that we, with all haste, all zeal, and all urgency, seek after these things. It's also in the masculine form in the Koine Greek, which simply means that we are to initiate the action. The male is the masculine form in in Greek is always showing the initiation, the initiator, um, and then the feminine. Always shows it as a response. The neuter always shows it as a tool or something to be used to accomplish something. So here we have it in the masculine form, which simply means that we are to initiate the action to make this uh, a point of diligence on our part. The choice is ours. He is not going to force us to grow up in Him. If we want to stay an infant, and just stand on the tip of that cross like we talked about last year, or last month, excuse me. We're, he'll let us do that. But he has so much more for us than that. And so we don't want to just stay static in our relationship with him. We want it to be growing. And he has provided all we need to do that. Our job in the sphere of our faith is to make it a matter of principle, to initiate the action, with all zeal and haste to accomplish what he has made us to be. I think if you think of an athlete, especially an Olympian athlete, that's the kind of picture that he wants for us here. There are not many people who are inspired or aspire to be an Olympian. Why? Because it takes complete 24-hour devotion 24-7 they have to be on task with training with nutrition with coaching and they do it with one thing in mind victory They want victory so they put up with all the endless hours of training they put up with not being able to eat what all of their friends are eating They put up with that coach that just keeps at them all the time because of victory in mind. Now, how much more would we reveal the nature that is within us if we applied the same aspects as an Olympic athlete? What if we trained 24-7 in righteousness? What if we only ate the right spiritual foods and left the junk alone? What if we had the ears to hear our coach and obey him 24 7? I think we would look a little bit different than we do. Being diligent is a mindset that both prepares for what's coming and then puts forth the effort. to run after with every bit of zeal that we can muster. In this case, it's applying the list in verses 5 through 7 so that we begin to exemplify the divine nature we have in the spirit of Christ Jesus. This list is one of spiritual growth. So if you want to know how to grow in Christ, this list is it. It's one of them. There is plenty in the Bible, <laughs> I assure you. But this is a good list to start with because it's as we are in the sphere of faith that we are to work on each of these other spheres. Just as God describes our position of, and fellowship in Christ in, by spheres, these also are described as spheres. And they're not separate. You'll note that they're all one within the other. But ladies, before you think that you just got to work on your faith, my faith, my faith, I got to work on my faith. I'm not, I'm not ready to move on to my moral excellence yet. I just got to work on my faith. That's not how it works. <laughs> you work on your faith and your moral excellence and your knowledge, and your self-control, and your perseverance, and your godliness, and your brotherly kindness, and your love, all at the same time. And as one expands, the others expand. But they are kind of in this order for reason, and we'll get to that in a minute as well. So the outside sphere is the sphere of our faith. And it is within our faith that we are to eagerly, diligently supply all of these other spheres. In order to supply or to add, we must make it a matter of principle to fully develop these spheres. Each of them are already part of the sphere of faith. Just as a child is born with all of the things it needs to grow into a full-grown adult, we have been born spiritually with this divine nature, with everything we need to become a spiritually mature believer, to be that adult in the Christian faith. As we grow in our faith, each of those spheres will expand, and they are all um, within each other, but we don't work on our moral excellence before moving on to our knowledge. We don't work on our knowledge before we grow in um, expanding our self-control. But as each one grows, those other areas will also expand as we see the fruit coming from that. So we are to add, as the King James says, or fully supply moral excellence. And that moral excellence here is the same root word that describes the excellence of God in verse 3. It's the word virtue. Now, we don't talk about virtue much these days. Uh, There used to be a very strong moral compass in our country, and that has slowly been eroded and more rapidly in the later years that we've been involved in. But it's a moral compass that points to God. That's what we're looking at. You know, it used to be where everyone knew the Ten Commandments. Everyone, they were posted everywhere. (laughs) That's all been removed. To take those out of here. Um, we live by and if you didn't know the, the Ten Commandments, you at least knew the golden rule. Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. You know, that's a great rule to live by. And yet that moral compass has completely broken. We don't have it anymore. There was a strong sense of right and wrong, but it's been replaced with the word tolerance. And tolerance has meant that we've had to accept sinful behaviors that don't belong anywhere here. <laughs> well, they belong to this world. They don't belong in a Christian life. Let's put it that way. Tolerance became the key word and what began as a mantra of live and let live has taken us in a downward spiral until there is no recognition of truth and there is no standard of virtue Unless, of course, you are one that belongs to Christ Jesus. And then we know different. We have been taught differently. We have been told that he is our righteous standard. It is his glory and excellence that called us. And that is what we seek after. Morally, Morality must be based on truth. And the only truth we have in this world is this Bible. We have to know the Bible. So Galatians 2.20, here's the one I messed up earlier. For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's a good one to memorize because when it comes down to it, that is the reminder we need. I no longer live. This isn't about me. This is about my Savior. As we let Christ live through us, as we participate with his Spirit, we will fully develop the sphere of moral excellence. Our behavior will change. change. But it is also within that sphere that we have the sphere of knowledge. This word knowledge in this verse is gnosis. It's not epinosis. Remember, epinosis is a thorough, complete, applicational type of knowledge. This is just common knowledge. This is, let's just sit down and read our Bible. Let's just go to Bible study and see what it says. Let's just go to church and hear the pastor teacher teach what this God's word means to us. That's the common knowledge. And it's not as thorough of a knowledge as epinosis. Um, we may not have learned how to apply it yet. We may have not have had the Holy Spirit lead us to use it yet, but it's there to draw from. It is a storehouse within us. And that is as that storehouse expands, in our moral excellence will then expand because we will see how to apply it. We will know how to use those verses that we've heard and those those doctrines that we've learned about, how to apply those in our life. And that is increasing our faith because we are growing in our knowledge. Our storehouse is getting bigger, so our moral excellence becomes better, and then our faith increases because we see the productivity of what God is doing in our life. And, you know, Peter, he talks about this growth, if we're going to grow in spiritual maturity, we need to grow in the knowledge of God's word. And he closes his, this letter to this group of believers by these words in chapter 3, verse 18, when he says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both, nay, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So he closes this letter in grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter wants us to develop an appetite for the word of God. I think as a believer, we've probably all experienced those times when we just couldn't get enough of it. We sat and read for hours. And then there are times in our Christian walk that we can go days, weeks, without picking up our Bible. The difference of that is is that we are not being diligent to supply, fully develop our knowledge. We have to choose, initiate that action to be in God's word. We have to develop an appetite to seek after the things of God rather than things that please our flesh. As we partner with God in this divine nature, we're motivated to expand our knowledge of him And the life that he has for us. And we do that in a twofold way. One, we study the word, either on our own or under the leadership of a pastor teacher or a Bible study teacher. And then two, we stay under the control of the Holy Spirit so that he can reveal the truth to us. Because it's one thing for us to read it. If you gave this to a non believer and said, read this, what are they going to understand? Not a lot because they don't have that spirit within them to teach them. And we have that as a follower of Christ. We have that. But again, we have to be in Christ and under the control of the Holy Spirit. But we have to develop an appetite for his word. And, you know, I mentioned before that my son and my dad both teach from the original language. That is not something that you can just pop on there and listen to them and go, yeah, I understand. Every bit they're saying, oh, no. <laughs> Thankfully, they explain what they're talking about. But the first time I heard this masculine and feminine and neuter, I'm like, what are you talking about? Um, they talk about partici- participles, and they talk about subjunctive moods, and they talk about all this. things. What are they talking about? I barely learned English in high school. <laughs> so to learn the, the language, I have to put effort to it i have to be diligent to apply what i'm hearing to my mind i have to be diligent to move it from the left side which is where we take in information over to the right side which changes our behavior i have to be diligent to do that and you do too i'm not saying you have to go listen to my mom my son or my dad i'm just saying you need to be diligent to apply and have an appetite for learning more of of God. And as we expand that knowledge, we're going to want to know more. And as we know more, we're going to want to walk better. We're going to want people to see a moral excellence in us because we're representing our Christ. And when we're walking in that moral excellence, our faith is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so that is the blessing of having the word given to us Um, it's just an amazing fact that he allowed us to know the mind of christ by giving us this bible but we have to partner with god and we have to stay under the control of the spirit so he can reveal the truth of the word to us and as we do another sphere will begin to develop and that is the sphere of self-control the king james uses the word temperance The koine Greek means control the will. We are to fully develop the control over our will in the sphere of our knowledge, which is in the sphere of moral excellence, which is in the sphere of our faith, which of course is placed in the work of Jesus Christ to make us righteous and holy before him. Our self-control will only happen as we give up control to the Holy Spirit and as we apply the knowledge we have learned, and as we allow his Holy Spirit to work in us. We, saw, we can see in Galatians 5, <clears throat> excuse me, 22 through 23, the verse, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. <clears throat> We are blessed that as a part of the fruit of the Spirit, that we are able then to control our will. And as Paul states, if we are to live by the Spirit, we should also walk by the Spirit. And that's in verse 25 of Galatians 5, 22, 25. As we do so and our self-control expands, we're going to find the next sphere a little bit easier. The next one is to persevere. The word there is hupomene, and it means to abide under, but this takes it a little bit further. It's not just to abide under, but to abide in contentment under circumstances. As we expand our faith and walk in moral excellence, and we grow our knowledge, and we develop our self-control, we will be able to then persevere underneath whatever circumstances comes our way because our storehouse will be full of how to deal with that. We will know that we are going to be suffering trials and tribulations in this world, and we will be able to abide under that, under the contentment, because we know that God's in control. We know that he has promised all of those promises to us, one that I live by all the time is that he's going to work it to my good. Whether or not I can see it or not, he's promised he's going to work all things to my good if I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. So we know that we can persevere in contentment because God is faithful and he's going to allow those things that will only help shape and mold our faith. And so we are to perse- persevere And we do that in the sphere of self-control, which is based on our knowledge while living out moral excellence as we stand in this faith in the one who has never failed us, and he never will. And that leads us to the next sphere. Our perseverance grows, and as we fully develop being content in any circumstance, that godliness is going to become more expanded in our life that devotion to God, because we're going to know how desperately we need him, that devotion to God is ongoing, consistent, and shown by our actions, that we are aiming to please God and God alone. It's a devotion to God, and we develop this type of attitude in the sphere of abiding under contentment in any circumstance. So you see how each of these spheres begin to grow the others as one swells, the other swells, and the other swells as we diligently work on them. Look with me, if you will, at Romans 8. Each of these spheres build on one another, within one another, but we are to do it with our mind in the right place. I'm going to back up and read verses 6 through 8 of Romans 8, beginning at 6. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself To the laws of God or the principles of God, for it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Ladies, if we're gonna aim to please God, we cannot be ruled by our flesh. We have to set that aside and we have to diligently pursue our divine nature. The mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God it says in verse 7, or it doesn't subject itself to the principles. What principles are we learning this morning? There is faith that we are to be building up our structure of spiritual maturity. We are supposed to be growing in each of these areas. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And I love this last part. And that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. That's how selfish I am. I love that last part. (laughs) No, I love it because I know God is faithful. And without my faith, I'm unable to please him. So I have to increase my faith. How am I going to do that? I'm going to start walking more, moral, more morally excellent. I'm going to start uh, learning more. I'm going to start being more knowledgeable. I'm going to start using more self-control under the control of his spirit. I'm going to walk in perseverance, knowing that whatever he has allowed into my life, he's going to work for my good. I am going to then be devoted to him. My aim is to please my God. Galatians 1.10 says it well. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of God, of Christ. If we're going to be a follower of Christ, our aim is to please him. And when that is happening, in that sphere of godliness, when our devotion is there, then that brotherly kindness, that benevolence that he calls us to will be much easier. Brotherly kindness is the word phileo, philos, and it's a brotherly, a brotherly love. It's based on a response, either a response to a need of another or a response of how they treat us, we can stop loving them or keep loving them. And uh, that's the way phileo is is defined. But as we help one another as believers, uh, we have our eyes open to the needs of others. As through our godliness, our aiming to please God, we see the needs of his children and we start working towards helping them, we become the hands and feet of Jesus to help others. We use that uh, devotion to God to help others in that perseverance and that self-control and our knowledge and our moral excellence. We use all of that in our faith to help other believers. It's brotherly kindness. And then there is the one final sphere that all of the package of divine nature results in, and that is the sphere of love, or as the King James puts it, charity. Now, we have a different definition of charity these days than they had back in 1611 when this was translated into the King James Version. When that was translated in 1611, The word charity was the strongest possible word used for love because it showed giving. We look at it typically now as just giving. We don't think about the love aspect of it as much. But in 1611, their idea of charity was this is a love that gives. And we know that the word agape is used here and the definition for agape is a self-sacrificial love that shows itself in giving and keeps on loving regardless of the response. So unlike phileo, which is re- it's based on response, agape is not based on a response. We keep on loving regardless of whether they respond to that love or not. And that is the the mark of a mature Christian right there. Um, When you think of a sister in the Lord or someone that you know that is experiencing great joy, they've gone on a great trip, or they have just had a child or a grandchild, do you look at them with joy, or is there a bit of comparison or a bit of jealousy involved in that? That's all stuff that we have to weed out of us as our sinful nature and allow the divine nature to take over so that we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep and we become more like Christ in that regard. We have to keep on loving and giving regardless of the response and if we want to know if we're on this road to spiritual maturity, all we need to do is look back at these spheres. How are we doing you know and i and as I said, we don't just build on one and then move to the next. they're all working within each other, so they're all in flux, really, because there are times when you know the Holy Spirit, as I am watching something, he'll say, "Uh-uh, turn it <laughs> you know." I, But it's that knowledge that I have that lets him do that for me. Because if I didn't know it was right and wrong, what's the big deal? But as you know more, then that moral excellence is going to be pulled on a little bit tighter. And those leash is going to pull you a little closer to that divine nature. And we are going to grow more and more. Each of them is a process of developing a spiritual maturity within us. It's not going to all happen at once. It's a process. And if it were a done deal, he'd probably just take us on out of here. <laughs> He's leaving us here to work on that. And as we work on it, then we will help others to work on it as well. In the sphere of faith, with all diligence, we are to develop a sphere of moral excellence. And in the sphere of moral excellence, we're to develop a sphere of knowledge. And in that sphere of knowledge, we are to develop self-control. In that sphere of self-control, we are to develop perseverance. In the sphere of perseverance, develop godliness. In the sphere of godliness, develop brotherly kindness. And in the sphere of brotherly kindness, develop that sphere of love. Each of those ladies are part of the divine nature that he has already given us. We have everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. He has granted that to us at the moment of our salvation when we were sealed in Christ. Now we just have to walk in fellowship with his spirit so that he can work within us. It's that divine power working within us. If we try to do this under our own power, we're not going to get very far. We just don't have it in us. We have a sinful nature. That sinful nature follows the, after the lusts of this world, lusts that are um, prime to us that we need to set aside and take up that cross and follow Christ in our adventure of a lifetime to become more like him and walk in the image of his son. Let me close our time in prayer. Father, you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, and I pray as we walk in this divine nature as a new creature in Christ, that we would become women who live morally excellent, that we would want to develop an appetite to grow in our knowledge, I pray that we would um, have self-control and perseverance and all of these other spheres growing within us so that we can love as you love, so that we can be there for our brothers and sisters in Christ and provide for their needs and be available to them. Father, you make all things possible. And apart from you, we can do nothing. So I just praise you and I thank you for your son that came to restore a relationship with us. I praise you for sending your spirit to lead us into all truth. And I pray that you would help each one of us to walk humbly before you in the power and strength of your spirit to develop this divine nature within us so that we would not be tossed here and there, but that we would be standing firm in our faith. That faith would be swelling up with all of these other spheres that you have developed in us. Lord, give us direction, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.